Hey, good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you, those that are watching online. We're, we're in a study in the book of James. We're going to be in the book of James for four months. You guys ready for a good deep dive in the book of James? So go ahead. Your homework is to read through the book of James. And uh, last week we talked about suffering, God testing our faith. And today we're going to talk about how do we walk through suffering and when we're battling with doubt, when we're battling with doubt. And how do we pray? How do we pray when we're going through difficult times and trials in our lives, like all the Bills fans are going through right now? But anyways, just one game, okay? Just everybody calm down. Calm down. I need to calm down, but that's okay. Um, We're going to make it. Let me ask you a couple questions right off the bat. How do you really know that you are living what you believe? How do you really know that you're living what you believe? Is there, a, is there a way that we can know for sure? Is there a test for the followers of Jesus? Is there a quiz we can take? Is it gaining more knowledge? Here is what we're taught in scriptures. This is how you know that your faith is real. And it's not necessarily about how much knowledge you know or some quiz you can take. This is how you know your faith is real. The test for our faith is in trials. I hate to say it. The test for our faith is through trials. Now, I wish there was an easier way, but the scriptures tell us that the genuineness of your faith is going to be seen in how you deal with the trials in your life. Now, we don't like that. Um, can't there be an easier way? But, but what I love what Augustine says here. St. Augustine said, trials come to prove and improve us. They come to test and prove that which is genuine, and they are also there to improve us. Improve us. First Peter 1.7, Peter deals with this very same thing. And, and many times when you read the epistles or the writing of the apostles, they deal a lot with Christians going under persecution or under trials. And the book of James, James was the, the, the brother of Jesus. He was head of the Jerusalem church. And James is writing to the church. And the church is just like you and I. It's the people that are going through difficult times. There's a little bit of infighting going on in the church. We're going to deal with that in some chapters coming up. But in this first chapter, James deals with trials and those that are enduring suffering. Peter echoes this same thought in 1 Peter 1.7 when he says this, these trials will show that your faith is what? Is genuine. Trials come to show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold, so when your faith remains strong through many trials, guess what it will bring? It will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Amen to God's word. So what Peter is telling us and James is telling us is that when we go through trials, it will reveal what we're truly trusting in our lives. How deep our roots are in Christ Jesus. Are we maturing in him? And what Peter does is he gives us this image of gold going through this purification process, this smelting process, which allows precious metals to be separated from worthless metals. 
In order for gold to be pure, it has to go through this smelting process. It has to go through the fire. And what James and Peter talks about is trials are a type of fire that purifies us. And without those trials, without the fire in our lives, we'll never know how deep our faith is. We won't grow the way God desires us to grow. So he allows these trials in our lives to purify us, to separate us from the world. How many of us know we live in the world and it's easy to get tainted by the world? It's easy to get influenced by the world. And, and the thing for the, for the Christian, the one that's following Jesus, is this. Is, am I being influenced by the world or am I being influenced by God and his word? That there has to be a choice that we make. It's what am I going to trust? Am I going to trust God's word and what his plan is for my life? Or, or am I going to allow the world to, to influence me in the decisions that I make? And so trials test our faith to see if it's genuine. And the result is this. It's not to harm us. It's not that God is just wanting us to suffer for the sake of suffering. There's a purpose behind it. And what Peter says, it results in praise. That makes no sense, doesn't it? You'd think like, oh, just going through good things and everything that's happened in my life is hunky-dory. Nothing's wrong and that's going to result in praise. But true praise comes when you're able to endure the test and knowing that God is doing a deeper work in your heart, in your life. Your faith will be genuine. And not only this, this is what's so incredible about going through difficult things in your life. Not only does it prove that your faith is genuine, but that it's going to be genuine to you. Catch this. When you're able to endure, not that it's easy, but when you're able to endure something and know that God is with you, knowing that he hasn't forsaken you or left you, it's going to prove to you that God is real, which results in praise. Is anybody out there this morning? Just check and just check. But it's going to result in like, God, I know you're with me. You didn't give up on me. And the world would say, well, why are you going through this? Isn't everything supposed to be great for Christians? You know what I say to that? Right? It's... We, we have to endure through struggles in our life, but it results in praise, knowing that God is with us in thanksgiving. Um, C.S. Lewis, um, in his reflections after the death of his wife, he wrote a book called A Grief Observed. And, and he talked about how our faith works and what are we truly trusting in, in our life. And he, he talked about you'll never know what you truly believe until it becomes life or death to you. See, when you go through a trial, you'll never know what you're really trusting because it's going to put you in a position where all you have is trust. It's going to strip you of your self-dependency. See, I don't know about you, but I want to be in control. But how many know we're not as in control as we think we are? And so when you go through a test, it puts you in a very vulnerable position to show you what are you really trusting? What is your hope in? And C.S. Lewis says this in his book. He says, you'll never know how much you really believe anything until, until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life or death to you. That's incredible. He says, it's easy to say you believe a rope to be strong and sound as long as you are merely using it to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice, over a cliff. 
wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? Catch this, people. Just catch this. You'll never know how much you trust God unless you go through a trial. And God knows that. He wants you to trust him and know that he's faithful. God loves us so much that his desire for us is for our faith to actually be genuine. Listen, it's, can we just say it's fun, it's fun coming to church. Man, that was great worship today, right? You get great preaching every week, right? I'm just teasing, I'm just teasing. This, this is the easy part, right? We come together, we worship together, we consider the teaching of God's word. All this is, is, is great. But how many know the realness of your faith is seen when you have to live it out in the world? When you're faced with the same struggle tomorrow and the day after, that's when the genuineness of your faith is revealed when you have to live it in the world. When you get a report or a diagnosis that wasn't favorable. When, 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 you have to, when, when you're at a, a job that, that, that you don't like. Or maybe you're in a very toxic environment at your job and you just don't like it and it's miserable. These are the, this is the real, this is what we're faced with every day. Can I get an amen, right? And so what happens is where is my faith in all of that? And this is where God says, I want to do that deeper work in you that even though you may face these things, you're going to see that I am faithful. And we have to realize that, listen, trials are not easy and fun and none of us say, God, please take me through a trial so that I can just praise you, right? But God does. And knowing that God is working in us, we can allow ourselves, we can allow ourselves to go through it trusting God that he is faithful, that he will be with us, that he's not going to leave us. So this is what James deals with in the first chapter. What James is going to deal in the first chapter is this. He's going to deal with suffering and and what we're to do with that suffering. And then then he's going to deal with how do we pray? How do we gain wisdom through the trial? Can we gain wisdom and understanding in this trial? So let's look at James 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 8 today. And let's look at the purpose of the trial and what we're to do in the midst of them. So James says, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure agony, my brothers and sisters. Now, consider it what? Pure. Talked about this last week. Whenever you face trials of many kind. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be what? Mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, here's where he goes into the prayer part, going through trials. Verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That a person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. I want to focus on verses 5 through 8. Because James tells us that we can ask for wisdom when we face a trial. 
We can ask God for wisdom even in the midst of the trial. And so what James is doing, he's writing to a people who have problems just like you and I. They've got problems in their church. They're faced with suffering. They're dealing with things that you and I deal with. And the question is this, how do I pray when I'm going through this thing, when I'm going through this trial? And have you ever felt that way? I don't even know how to pray at this point. I'm going through this thing and I don't even know what to pray or how to pray. It's just too painful. And what should I ask for? Well, I'm in this, in the midst of this. Is it, is it selfish to pray for myself, to just to want to get out of this as quickly as possible? Is, is that the way God wants me to act? Is this the way God wants me to pray? You see, one of the most challenging things to do during a trial is to know how to pray correctly. How do I pray correctly? David in Psalms 25 expresses the same thought. This is such a good psalm on how to go to God when you are stressed out, when you don't have the answers, when you're not sure about tomorrow, when you're faced with a trial. Now, David, we know David made a ton of mistakes, right? He made a lot of mistakes. But the one thing that David did right is he knew how to repent and he knew how to seek God. And all his mistakes and his messy life, he knew how to repent and he knew how to seek God. That's why later in the New Testament, looking back, David was called a man after God's own heart, even though he broke most of the commandments, the Ten Commandments. He was still called a man after God's own heart. Why? Because he knew how to repent. Did he have to live with the regrets that he made? Absolutely. But David knew how to seek God. And I love David in Psalm 25 of how he pours his heart out in prayer. Let's, let's dissect this. Because he struggles with guilt of his sin and the constant pursuit of his enemies. And so David's words show us how much he needed God's guidance in his life. Now, I want, I, I, I want to attach the two. What James does is, count it all joy, when you're going through trials, it's kind of all joy. God's doing something deeper, perseverance, maturity, so that you lack nothing. And then right off of that, he says, pray for wisdom. When we pray, wisdom and guidance go together. So when we go to God in prayer, what we're asking for is, God, I need your guidance, not my wisdom, not my knowledge. I need to hear from you. I need to hear what you have to say. And this is how David prayed. David's words show us how much he needed God's wisdom and guidance in his life. So this is what he says. Psalm 25, verses 4 through 6. He says this in his prayer. Show me the right path, O Lord. Point out the road for me to follow. Lead me by your truth and teach me. And teach me. For you are the God who saves me. And all day long I put my hope in you. Remember, O Lord. Now, he's recalling God, his promises. Like, listen what he says. He says, remember, O Lord, your compassion and unfailing love, which you have shown from long ages past. Here's what David does. He goes to the Lord and he says, God, show me your path. Not my path, not what I want. Show me your path. Show me the right path that I might follow. And then lead me by your truth, by your word, 
and teach me. Teach me through this trial of what you desire in my heart. Notice his prayer is God-directed, not me-directed. He's seeking God for his wisdom, not this mixture of, hey, God, this is what you want, maybe. This is kind of what I want. This is what maybe you want for me, but this is kind of what I want. Notice he doesn't do that at all. He prays for God's wisdom, for his road, for his truth, to teach him, knowing that he is the God that saves. And even in the midst of that, I'm going to put my hope in you because I know you're faithful. Remembering your compassion and unfailing love. So if God allows this trial, I need to know how to pray. I need to ask God for guidance. So what James does is he gives us this answer and how the right way to pray. And so the right way to pray is we need to ask God for wisdom. We need to ask God wisdom on how to live when enduring this trial. Because the lack of wisdom can lead us astray, especially when you lean on your own reasoning. And isn't that what gets us in trouble? Is when we try to lean on our own understanding, our own wisdom and all this, and try to, God, what do you do? Instead of just leaning on him. That's why I love Proverbs. Proverbs is a book about wisdom and how to live with the wisdom of the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, great, great verse. Many of us know it. It says, trust in the Lord with part of your heart, right? Lean on your understanding. Don't acknowledge God and walk on your own paths, right? What does it say? It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, Lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct or make your paths straight. Now, I've heard this question and it was pretty intriguing to me. I was listening to a podcast and, and, and the person I was interviewing someone else said, what would your older self say to your younger self? You, you ever heard that? So I'm 39. So what would my... Uh, thir- no. <laughs> I can't get away with it anymore. Even if I said 49, I don't know if I can get away with that. So I'm 57. What would my 57-year-old self say to my 30-year-old self or my 20-year-old self, right? Probably something like, you knucklehead, right? You dummy. You, why'd you make that choice? You know, all of us have made bad decisions. Right? How many of us have ever made a bad decision? Yeah, okay. And or we've made a decision that we kind of regret. And, and the purpose of asking your younger self, hopefully... We have more wisdom now, the older we get. And hopefully, we're not going to make the same mistakes that we did before. So the reason is we have a better perspective. We have a better perspective of our life. One thing, as a pastor, I do a lot of funerals, and you meet with a, a lot of people and a lot of families. And one thing I notice talking with people either at the end of their life or older in their lives is the one thing they always regret is relationships. Is unresolved relationships. That's the one thing they regret. And it's interesting when you have a funeral and you get families together, especially families that don't want to be together because the funeral forces them to get together It's very interesting because you can't just step back and say, well, I've unfriended them. I don't take their calls. I don't take their text messages. But all of a sudden you have a a funeral and it really digs up a lot of stuff. And the one thing I've noticed that people have the deepest regrets and not being wise in is relationships. 
Because it's easy just to ignore them when you don't have to see that person. But all of a sudden, that funeral brings people together and it just regurgitates. It brings up a lot of junk, a lot of stuff, a lot of regrets. And then you get towards the end of your life and you're thinking, man, why, did, why am I making this such a big deal? I'm not using a lot of wisdom here. And what I've noticed with people is that many times they'll go back and try to resolve those broken relationships. That's smart. Even if that other person doesn't accept it, you've done what was right if you're a follower of Jesus. You've done the right thing by trying to resolve those broken relationships. See, hopefully with age, we gain wisdom and a different perspective about life. You know, um, I was a, a youth pastor for about 10 years. And uh, in my early 20s, in my early 30s, I was, a, I was a youth pastor. And I remember parents would come to me and say, Pastor Brown, what do you think I should do with my kid, my teenager? You know, and at that time, I, I, when we first started youth pastor, I didn't have any kids. And then we had really young kids. So I never youth pastored when we actually had teenagers. So I had no idea what I was talking about, right? So I feel like I wish I could go back to those parents and just say, I'm sorry. Um, I raised three teenagers, and by the way, I had no idea what I was talking about, so I'm just, I'm just sorry about that. I didn't realize how hard it really was raising teenagers. Can I get an amen from parents who have raised teenagers? Okay, you're with me, you're with me. Okay, so listen, the older we get, hopefully we're gaining this perspective and gaining wisdom, and gaining wisdom. So what, what James does here is there's a warning. What, what, what we see in David's psalm, it's a warning not to rely on ourselves and our wisdom and our understanding. I like Tim Keller's thoughts about the book of Proverbs because we know Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And what Tim Keller says is there's a great paradox in the book of Proverbs. And this is what he says the paradox is. He says the great paradox in the book of Proverbs is wise people are extremely aware of their foolishness. That's the paradox. It's not the opposite. Wise people are very wise of their own wisdom and how wonderful they are and how smart they are. Here's the paradox. Wise people are extremely aware of their foolishness. But the fools think they are wise. The fools think they're wise. To put it a little more starkly, if you don't think you're a fool, you're a fool. (laughs) Now, that's Tim Keller talking, not me, so don't be mad at me. Okay, but it's true. And he says this. This is so good. You have to be absolutely, accurately, intimately aware of all your limitations, of all your weaknesses, of all your flaws, of all your besetting sins, of all your areas of foolishness, if you don't, you're going to make stupid choices all the time. So true. You see, don't lean on something that can't support you. And see, the beginning of wisdom and praying for wisdom is realizing we don't have all the answers. And we have to realize that the proclivity of my heart is to want to take care of me and not necessarily lean on God. And so when we recognize that we're weak and feeble at times, and that we need God and God alone, and our dependency on him, that is when we are wise. When we make mistakes is when we get full of ourselves and think that we know better, or we know what's best. 
or sitting under messages week after week after week and thinking it's always for somebody else or reading God's word and our first thought is not this, how does this apply to me, but how can I speak this to this person? Right? See, wisdom says, God, what are you saying to me? What are you speaking to my heart? Lean on God's word for your understanding. And what trials will do is show us what we're truly trusting and really what is in our hearts. That's what they will do. They will show what are you truly trusting and what is in our hearts. So how do we know? How do we know what we're truly trusting? And are we using wisdom in our prayer life to allow God to speak to us as David said. David, David said, what can I learn from this? What can I learn? Teach me your truth. And so we need to have a right understanding of ourselves, a right understanding of who we are. We need to be self-aware of ourselves in the way that we can't trust ourselves. So it's not the person that irritates you, that's the problem. It's not that person. The person that annoys you only reveals what's already in your heart. See, what, what, boy, that was, it's getting really quiet in here. Okay, listen, the per, follow me, track with me. Wisdom looks at my heart and says, what's in there? Why am I irritated? Why am I pushing back on this trial? Why is it so hard for me to trust God? See, listen, it's not the person who irritates you, even though that person might be irritating, right? The person you go to work with, the family member, they might be irritating, but they're not the problem. See, the person that annoys you only reveals what's already in your heart. The trial is going to reveal what's already in your heart. And so what we try to do is we try to cast blame on everything else, on the other person, right? And what happens is the lack of wisdom will cause us to be harsh and quick-tempered. The lack of wisdom will not allow us to be self-aware. And what we'll do is I want to use other people as an excuse for my poor choices or my bad behavior, that's not wise. And God's telling us, even though the trial may be difficult and it may not be fun, what I'm doing is a deeper work in your heart. And if you trust me and believe in me, it will result in praise. But the prayer needs to be, the prayer of wisdom needs to be, God, what are you doing in my heart? And many times we want to ignore that because we want to blame other people or that annoying person or family members. We'd rather cast the blame on them and not allow God to say, hey, look at the way you reacted. Look at the way you reacted. Look at how you talk about that other person. Look at how offended you got. Now, you can hide behind that and blame the other person, but wisdom says, why am I offended? Wisdom would say, God, what are you trying to teach me through this? 
And whatever trial we may go, we may go through, whatever might face us, if we can say this, God, what are you teaching me through this? I know you love me and I can trust you through this. That doesn't mean we don't ask questions. That doesn't mean it makes it any less hard. But we'll have wisdom and how we endure the trial. Do you see the difference? See, if I'm not asking for wisdom, if I'm not praying correctly, then I'm going to struggle. I'm not going to believe that God is good and compassionate. I'm going to doubt his character. But David doesn't do that. So when we are going through a trial, we need wisdom to act correctly, which honors Christ. We want to blame everyone else for our lack of wisdom and how we react, but that's not true godly wisdom. James tells us to pray for wisdom and not be wishy-washy about it. In fact, what he means here, to have confidence and to receive from God is not meaning to oscillate back and forth. This passage speaks of praying for wisdom when we're suffering. And we need wisdom not to go down the wrong road. And this is where we can learn of the character of God And we can lean on the character of God over my current situation. Knowing like what David said, God is good, God is compassionate, he will never leave me or forsake me. I need wisdom not to go down a road of bitterness and isolation. And I need family, I need the family of God around me, praying for me. James says you need wisdom, godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom, not to be double-minded. If you're, if you're a boat owner, you learn this real quickly. When a boat is up against a, a dock um, and it's not tethered to the dock, never put one foot in the boat and one foot on the dock. That's going to result very in a bad situation. That's not going to end really, really well. And I've never done that. I've only done it about five times. But anyways, just don't, don't do that. The dock is solid. The boat is not. The boat is being controlled by whatever's going on in the water, by the wind, the waves. And what James is telling us, run to something that is solid. Get your wisdom from the Lord, not not the world. Don't have one foot in the world trying to gain wisdom there and then trying to gain wisdom from God. That it, it doesn't work. You're going to be very frustrated. We have a choice in the midst of suffering to ask God for wisdom. So what wisdom does is, wisdom from God allows us to be less self-absorbed and more compassionate. Wisdom from God allows us to be less self-absorbed and actually more compassionate. Not taking everything personal and allowing God to do that deeper work in our lives. So wisdom says, God, what are you teaching me? And I know for me, when you go through struggles or trials, we want to blame someone or something or the situation or whatever. We just want to put blame and all those other, and all those other things to try to make us feel better. But the greater question is this. God, what are you doing in my heart? I don't like it. I don't like the way this person treats me. I don't like these things. But God, what are you doing in my heart? I know you're faithful. I know I can trust you. And I'm going to lean on you more than I'm going to lean on the situation. And then what happens is joy is a result of that. And praise and thanksgiving unto God is a result of those who trust the Lord. So listen, 
I don't know what you're dealing with today in your life, what you're struggling with. But when you pray and you ask for wisdom, say, God, what are you doing in my heart? Are you trying to purify me in an area that I need to be purified in? That's a hard question to ask, isn't it? And the minute, listen, listen, I'm going to finish, but listen. The minute you find yourself justifying your situation or your choices that are not godly, it's not godly wisdom. The way you know you're on the right track when you're asking for God's wisdom is when you're applying it to your life and your heart. God, change me in all of this. Because I know you love me. And I know you want me to mature. And I know that the way, this is God's word, I know the way, the pathway to maturity is through trials. There's a purification process that is going to mature me, even though I don't like it and I wish there was a better way. But I know you're doing that deep, deeper work and I'm going to trust you through it because I know you're good. That's praying with wisdom, godly wisdom. Many, many years ago, I was at a, I was at a hospital visit and um, there's this woman, um, she just recently passed away, a very godly woman. Her name, her name, her name was Cheryl. And um, uh, I mean, Shirley, her name was Shirley. And I went to the hospital to, 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 to pray with her and um, she didn't actually go to our church, but she was involved with some ministries that we're connected with and very um, loving to our family. She had us over for dinner one time when all our kids were really young, like all under eight. And by the way, no one would ever invite us over to their house when we had three kids under eight. Just they, they, they knew better, uh, the Jerase kids. And, uh, but she did. She invited us over, and they lived near the golf course in Ontario. And her husband took, took my boys out. We looked for golf balls and just just beautiful, beautiful family. She recently passed away, and I was thinking about her as I was doing her, her um, funeral. We had the honor of uh, doing her funeral. Years ago, she was in the hospital, and she was really sick. And I said, I'm, I'm just going to go up and visit her. We just love the family. So I went up there, and I walk in, doing my pastoral thing, and I said, uh, Shirley, I, I want to pray for you. She goes, no, no. She goes, I'm going to pray for you. I said, wait a minute, I'm the pastor, right? <laughs> this is my job. I'm the one that comes in. Don't you understand? I'm the one that's supposed, I'm supposed to bless you, right? I'm supposed to pray for you. And she goes, pastor, I just want to pray for you and your family. Can I do that? Here she's sick, laying in bed. She goes, come over here. She lays hands on me and says this unbelievable prayer in the midst of her trial of being in the hospital, looked beyond her needs and her wants and prayed for me. You know what? I never forgot that. I never forgot that. And I know sometimes when we're going through a trial, it's hard to bless. It's hard to bless. I had, I had a mom come up to me after the first service. She's got a son who just started fifth grade and he's in the middle school and some people were picking on him. And she said, Mom, how, how should I deal with this? How should I deal with this? And her mom said, just look at that person and tell them you're praying for them. And hell is long and it's hot. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing, teasing, teasing. And um, guess what? He did. 
And he goes, you may be picking on me, but I just want to let you know, I'm going to pray for you. And the, and the kid will pray for, you know, and guess what? He doesn't bother him anymore. He doesn't bother him. I thought, what a great thing for a mom to say. Instead of cursing, blessing. Wisdom. When I'm going through a trial, I could easily have cursing. I could say mean things about people. But wisdom says, you know what? Bless them. Show grace. Show mercy. And it's going to result falling back on you tenfold. Do you hear me? Tenfold. God knows, listen people, God knows what he's doing. And I know for me, I've got to submit myself to that because I don't like to be hurt. I don't like to walk in pain. I want to hurt other people. I want to get back. I'm easily offended. Blah, 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 blah. Right? We all are, right? It happens. But you know what? When I can go through this trial and just say, God, what are you doing in my heart? And instead of cursing, I'm going to bless. And I'm going to praise you. And I'm going to still thank you. Even though it's hard, even though it's difficult, even though this person still irritates me, I'm going to bless. I'm going to bless. That's wisdom. David asked God. David asked God, may I trust you? And I know that you're good. And I know that you're faithful. It's never about himself. It was about God, what are you showing me? And how can I trust you more? And how can I be more dependent on you? That's how you pray in the midst of your trial, no matter what it is. Godly wisdom. So I'm going to shut up. I went way too long. I'm going to shut up. So here's the thing we're going to do, okay? Listen to me. We're going to close in song, beautiful song. But you might be here today and you say, Pastor, I need God's wisdom. Number one, I've got a lot of hurt and bitterness in my heart. And I need God's wisdom to let that go. You may be faced with a trial right now. You say, Pastor, I need God's wisdom. I need to depend on him through this. Um, I'm, I'm vulnerable right now. I don't know what tomorrow holds or next week or next month. Who does, right? I need wisdom to trust him. Pastor Martin, I need, I need wisdom to ask that question. God, what are you doing in my heart? And I've been very accusatory and I've blamed and I've got a lot of bitterness. I need to flip that script and say, God, what are you doing in my heart? And that's going to be hard for me to do because I need to be peeled like an onion. That's wisdom when you ask and you pray that way. Allow God to do that in your heart. So what we're going to do is we're going to sing. And listen, if you need prayer during the song, uh, Pastor Brandon and I will be up here. My wife will be here. We want to pray with you. If, you. if you just need prayer today, I don't want you to leave this place without asking God just to help you in that place. So as we pray, you can just come up front. We'll pray with you. And don't leave this place. Don't, don't, don't leave this place without someone agreeing with you in prayer to ask God to help. And if that's you today, then, then take advantage of that. But aren't you grateful that God is faithful and compassionate and that he gives wisdom generously? Generously. Without fault. Isn't that good? Oh, Barden, you messed up this week. Not going to give you wisdom. No, too bad. You blew it. I'm so glad that our God is generous. I'm glad that God is patient with me. And I'm glad that he's faithful not to give up on me. Aren't you too? <laughs> Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word today. We need your 
wisdom, God. And I know trials can do one of two things. They can really make us bitter and obstinate. Or Lord, they could really make us a lot better in you and cause us to trust you more. And I know it's hard and we may not understand. But Lord, I thank you that the promise of, of suffering results in praise and joy if we can just trust you through it, even though we don't. So Lord, strip us of our, of our own dependency on ourselves and help us to trust you. Help us to ask those questions. God, what are you doing in my heart? Lord, let us ask the questions. God, what are you trying to strip away from me that I might know you more and have a more intimate relationship with you? God, help us to ask those questions. Those are wise questions. If we need your help, forgive us, God. When we depend on ourselves and we do it our own way, thank you, you take us back over and over and over again. Thank you for your grace and mercy. You're such a good God and we love you. So do this in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' precious name. In Jesus' precious name. And all God's children said, can we thank him for his word today? God is so good. Amen.